This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to the top people and ideas. Powered by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. BFM 89.9, I'm Chong Jen Sun and this is The Breakfast Grill. Paramount Corporation Berhad needs little introduction. It is a property developer with established townships in Klang Valley, Kheda and Penang. It also offers a networking of co-working spaces under Collapse Co-working, the Hotel Mercure Kuala Lumpur in Glen Marie, as well as Dewakan, which was recently awarded a Michelin star. In 2021, Paramount also invested in a peer-to-peer financing platform and subsequently an e-commerce platform in 2022. On the education side, they completed the divestment of its controlling stakes in its tertiary and pre-tertiary education businesses in 2019 and 2020, respectively. With all this in mind, what sort of growth trajectory is Paramount on in the coming years? Joining us in the studio is Jeffrey Chu, CEO of Paramount Corporation Berhad. Thank you for joining us this morning. Jeffrey, I was saddened to hear about the passing of Dato Tio Chang Kwan, the ex-chairman and founder in May 2021. Can we speak on how this has affected the leadership and strategy of the group now? Good morning and uh, it's great to be back on BFM. We are quite uh, saddened with the demise of our late chairman. Uh, he has been very much uh, the pillar in terms of the entrepreneur, the 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 the, the governance of the company, and um, we, we we have to move on. And uh, what what the leader Tio did in the past was that uh, he he built a very strong team of our management team, and he has delegated a lot of things to the management. And he also exemplified a very strong, capable, credible board of directors in to helm the company and oversight of the company. So really, in terms of the change, very little change in terms of the transformation, or uh, we are just basically executing what we already started uh, way back five years ago, and we'll continue doing that. I see. So you're not doing anything materially different from sort of the legacy that he has set? Not at this stage. And Jeffrey, according to the notes in your fourth quarter results release, which was released uh, on Monday, if I'm not wrong, Paramount achieved two new milestones in 2022. Let's start with your highest ever sales of 1.1 billion surpassing the record last held in 2018. What were the driving factors that led to this strong sales last year and what were the key projects that anchored this growth? Uh, for us, um, during the pandemic, we didn't really slow down in terms of our launches. In fact, in year 2020-21, we had about 600 to 700 million sales. Uh, slightly lower than the uh, last two years, but still very much online. And we keep on launching, preparing the launches and we have been launching. So when the market picked up in 22 in a big way basically we were able to sell more and of course um, one of the major contribution is that we have a very strong brand in most of the locations that we have new projects and furthermore I must admit that uh, uh, we were quite surprised of the sales that surged very strongly at the second half of the year uh, we think definitely uh, it has to do with the inflation factor a lot of people are worried about the raw material cost increased labour costs, and a lot of them want to buy very early and of course we got great products and good quality products and we managed to price it at a very efficient pricing which is affordable to the segments that we're looking at. And secondly, in Financial 22, 1.2 billion properties were launched, of which uh, 900 million was successfully launched in the final quarter of 2022, fourth quarter, such as Phase 1 of Sajati Lake 2 in Cyber Jaya, the Atera and Pataling Jaya, which is a transit-oriented development, and Greenwood Saraya in Sepang, which are townhouses. Can you give us an idea what the take-up rates have been for these projects, which were launched in fourth quarter? For those that are launched in fourth quarter, the take-up rate is about 
30%. Now, for most of our projects on our average now, uh, as we launch, we have about 71% take-up rate. I see. Including the new ones as well. I'm so curious, how are you pricing the Atera? Uh, we are actually pricing it a little bit higher than what we planned about four, three, four years ago when we did the fee Z. And we can't really avoid it because we see raw material prices gone up, labor prices gone up. All of them has gone up between 10 to 30%. The only thing that has really not gone up for us was the original land price that we bought way back in, in the earlier years. So uh, we are pricing about 720, 30 ringgit net per square feet. So for an average unit about, uh, and we make it smaller units. So an average unit is about uh, 700 square feet. We're trying to price it just below 500,000, which is a little bit more affordable for some of the segments and, and the fact that it's a TOD development. For some of your existing townships like Kamuning Utama, which has done well, were you able to price the future launches at a higher price compared to the earlier years and by what sort of quantum? Quite interesting. Uh, the example that we had was that not so much of the Akamuni Utama but the projects, ongoing projects that we had in Penang, uh, in Batukawan, where we managed to increase price about 10% and we were quite surprised that uh, the take-up rate was still very strong. We were quite apprehensive, you know, in terms of should we push only 5% and take more margin cuts on our side but we said no, let's just do 10 and see how we respond and the response in the north, 10% is very much acceptable in the market. And what's driving this uh, strong take-up, Sandy? It's raw material costs. Uh, people also find that there's not many avenues to invest their, 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 their funds or their savings. So property seems to be a very safe bet and a hedge against inflation. And moving to this year, what are the total planned launches for Financial 23 in terms of value and what is your sales target? Okay, for uh, this year, we are looking at about eight launches and uh, three will be new projects. The other five, you uh, Usually, it's part of the projects that we launch. We have different phases, so we'll launch all of them together. And it will probably be, we're launching about 1.6 billion. So uh, now we're looking at the sales of a little bit optimistic, uh, 1.3 billion. We, we we look at the long-term growth for Paramount. You know, uh, so we, I've been around for nine years. So, so for the next five to 10 years, we look at it. We have grown from property development at about 300 million. We used to be a 300 million company in terms of property development. So now we are like 1 billion, right? So three times. So we say that uh, it's about time for us. We have reached a critical mass. It's time for us to be a little bit modest in our growth. So we're looking at about 10% growth per annum in the country. So so our launch will probably be 1.3, maybe 1.4, 1.5 going forward the next few years. Yeah. I understand currently your unbuilt sales stands at about 1.4 billion. Can you give us an idea in terms of recognition of these sales, say for this year and next year? And is this affected by labour issues? Uh, normally, it's about 40, 40 and 20 for over a three-year period. So uh, it is very good for us in terms of our cash flow. So we are expecting to have nearly about uh, 600 million of cash flow coming in just from existing project. And it will help us to actually use that to replenish our land bank. And we always believe that uh, we do not want to keep too much land bank for too long because the holding cost, the interest cost is very expensive. So so what we do is that uh, we will try to get the money back and then uh, reinvest in loans uh, in the new land and then quickly launch it again. Yeah, seeing that you're able to raise prices, I don't suppose any of your projects need to be marked down in terms of costing and that will impact your margins? We hope that most of our projects that we launch now will be a bit about 10% higher than what it was 3-4 years ago and hopefully that will be enough to cover the escalating costs. Uh, the good news is that uh, some of the costs has already uh, moderated a little bit even even raw material costs you know, it used to have gone up quite a fair bit now has dropped a little bit so that helps us a little bit. In November of last year, Paramount completed the acquisition of 64 four acres of freehold residential land in Sepang, which has a potential GDV of 260 million. The land is next to your existing
existing township development at Greenwoods, Salat Perdana. What is the current strategy on land banking? Is the focus on getting synergies from land next to your existing townships? Excellent question. Uh, we used to, to have this synergy with our education. Uh, now we no longer have education, so we can't use that. But what we have realised over the past years is that uh, the projects that we do, which will take a few years to be successful. So once we are successful, uh, we realise we build a very strong branding in that location. We know the market very well in terms of the pricing strategy. We have very good understanding of the uh, authorities in terms of what they want. So because of that, we realise that uh, it actually helps us a lot to get better pricing, better sales if we were to launch areas that we are already there. Sungai Patani is an excellent example. We still do 100 million plus every year from one development of 500 acres, then we move to another 500 acres. So we keep on building around. So similarly for this particular land in Sri Kemangan, we are actually buying land that is close and hopefully that will be easier for us to do our marketing. We were able to launch faster and therefore we can get better margins ultimately. Yeah. In terms of land costs, uh, is there a set criteria that has to be, say, a certain percentage of GDV? To us, uh, it's a question of how you calculate at the end of the day, what's the ROA? What we have imposed on the management recently, the last two years, that we look at our five or uh, seven years performance, we realise that uh, we need to get better returns on our assets, not on equity, but on assets because our actual money that we put in the development comprises our own equity, our shareholders' funds, but also borrowing from banks. So our minimum threshold is getting 8% ROA on every project. We don't want to pay banks 6% for the interest and then we only make only 4.5% on the ROA. So we're actually subsidizing the bank. So the, the benchmark is very clear. Management will look for land and when do the fee they will make sure that it's minimum 8% ROA. What is your current unsold inventory and what has been the trend, say, over the past few years? For the residential, actually, we hardly have any inventories. Commercial, we do have. Uh, we have about uh, 80 million of unsold, but about a, a big portion of it, we actually use for our own. For example, 20 million of that, we use for our sales gallery for Artera. Uh, then we 20 million plus, we use it for our co-working space. So so we do have unsold unit for commercial shop lots and uh, and and hopefully when we complete our office in uh, Edwater uh, we won't have too much of it for too long. Yeah. And I'm uh, looking at your fourth quarter numbers again. The property division if we were to strip out the land sale gain in fourth quarter of 2021, your revenue and pre-tax profit actually rose by 6% and 38% respectively and this was lifted by changes in product mix coupled with the cost savings realized from certain completed projects. Can you perhaps elaborate more on these cost savings you achieved? The high percentage of increase in profits, actually you have to look at it at the different base for 221 and 222 because in 221, our profit could have been higher but we lost a couple of uh, weeks or months in terms of not able to work because of some of the MCOs. But for 2020, we didn't have that. So we are able to produce revenue and work done every day of the month throughout the year. So, so some of this escalation are because of that. Cost saving, yes, we do a lot of value engineering. We also speed up the development. That helps quite a fair bit in terms of uh, cost saving. But most of the time, uh, the impact of the huge increase in 2022, very much because of first, uh, better sales, of course. Then second, is a different base that we're looking at. So next year, uh, which is 2023, uh, we're looking at a more of a apple-to-apple comparison. So that will be a real test and see how much we can really grow. Yeah, Jeffrey, j- earlier you mentioned that cost has come off uh, slightly as compared to 
the last year. What is your forecast in terms of the cost of raw materials uh, going forward? Uh, we think that it will stay uh, the way it is, moderated, but we don't expect it to go down significantly. So so we really have no choice but to really price up. And I think that uh, among the conversation with a lot of our developer friends, they are also looking at, you know, if they can really make money and the margin is decent, then they will launch. So we are also looking at it from land acquisition perspective. If the margins are not so good, then we will probably defer. Yeah. On the breakfast grill this morning is Jeffrey Chu, CEO of Paramount Corporation Berhad. When we come back, we will speak to him on its asset monetization strategy, balance sheet and share price performance. BFM 89.9. You are listening to The Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. BFM 89.9. Welcome back to The Breakfast Grill. In the hot seat is Jeffrey Chu, CEO of Paramount Corporation Berhad. Before the break, we spoke on its property business, recent launches and take-ups, and also its sales targets for 2023. Jeffrey, what are some of your thoughts on the incentives for the property sector from budget 2023? We didn't see much uh, incentive in terms of the property market, but I guess uh, one of the biggest challenge in the segment is raw material increase. But I think the government is doing as much as they can. In fact, when we look at the labour shortage, not just increase in cost in labour, but also labour shortage, we noticed that the last six months, there have been significant change and improvement on that. Uh, what we really feel is that um, there's not much is given, but I think what the government could do better is to really increase the pie uh, while trying to slice and cut the cake to make sure that certain segment gets more and less. But that's not going to have significant impact on the economy or our business. What we really look for is for an increase in the income level of the population. And that's really growing the cake. And we hope that the government will look at new, quite uh, strong, uh, out-of-the-box strategy to really lift the income level of the country. And that will really help us because our property price is going up. We need the income level to go up to support our growth in the future. Jeffrey, on your asset monetization, Paramount completed the sale of DJ Campus for $60 million in October of 2022. And in December of 2022, you also announced the final sale of Paramount Education, Sri Hart for $118 million. Of the total proceeds, $75 million was earmarked for special dividends and $0.12 cents was declared upon the release of your fourth quarter numbers. And this translates into a one-off yield of more than 10%. When can investors receive this? What is the timing like? In terms of the special dividend, we will probably pay end of March. Then, of course, uh, the normal dividends, we will get it approved in the AGM in June and we'll probably pay at end of June or early July. So that will be a combine of uh, 15.5 cents, which is quite huge, nearly more than about 20% of our share price today. And, and what we have done is that uh, it was a quite a, a serious deliberation at the board. What do we do? Do we pay back to the shareholders? Because we felt that when we divest the education, some of our shareholders wanted to invest in Parama because of education. So we felt that if we were to sell, we should give back the money back to the shareholder. And of course, uh, if you look back at the three special dividends that we have given relating to asset monetization of the education, we already paid about, we are paying about 48 cents just on that. And we still have a little bit more monetization on that on the tertiary side. Are there any other assets that are up for sale? Yeah, we still have three campuses uh, in terms of tertiary, which we could monetize. And we have a hotel. And uh, of course, we still have some of the uh, mall that we felt that uh, is part of the property development, uh, integrated development strategy, which we will also need to uh, uh, monetize as well. I understand there's a dividend policy of paying 20% of your profit after tax in dividends. Will you be reviewing 
doing this perhaps with an upward bias? We like to keep it 20% as a policy at this stage, but we have been paying more than 50% uh, average, not just the last three years, but really the last 10 years. Uh, we hope to keep that, but we just want to have the op- like for example in 2020 2020 we want to preserve cash we lower down the dividend so we want that flexibility rather than putting 50% and then we cannot meet it yeah the group currently has 566 acres of undeveloped land bank of which 213 acres is in the Klang Valley 353 acres is from the northern region Kedah and Penang the remaining land bank in Batu Kawan is under 20 acres but I noticed the outstanding GDV is about 1.7 billion is this all valuable commercial land bank? It's more residential, generally. Uh, we are buying land in Batukawan. We are looking at buying land in uh, uh, Sungai Petani. So, so we will keep on buying land in the areas that we are really quite exposed and we are very well-branded in the location. Uh, we don't have specific strategy to go beyond the northern and the central valley. But of course, you will probably heard about our Bangkok venture overseas. The first one, we did the first project. So uh, we will probably stick to this three location uh, for the near future. Is there readily available land in Batu Kawan that's up for sale? I'm sure there are. It's a question of pricing. <laughs> How much has pricing moved up, say, over the past well, uh, we, one we to two years? S- we started off about 40, uh, 45 ringgit per square feet, then it moved up to about 55 ringgit per square feet. So hopefully it doesn't go up too much higher. And again, you know, how much the land price uh, that they can fetch is also a factor of what's the income level of the country. Is there any land bank in your books that is up for sale? Uh, we have been looking at areas that we sold one, uh, lot seven and nine, in the, I think about two years ago. Uh, at the moment, because of the inflation factor, we felt that it's better for us to actually keep the land and develop it because the land value has appreciated. So in a way, uh, we are not looking at selling any land at this stage. In April of 2022, Bank Nagara announced the winners of Digital Banking Licence and the consortium led by Paramount was not one of the successful applicants. What was the thinking and motivation of wanting this licence? I think for us, when we divest our education business, we actually look at what are the strategic options that we have as a group. Uh, we said that we could actually stay with a core property business for, 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 for forever if we can. But however, we should not ignore the fact that the world is moving and it's moving digital. And our property business is really very much still a brick and mortar business even in the next 10 to 20 years so because of that we have options that we are looking at how we can actually invest so that we can potentially find a new core business so when the digital bank license came out we already invested in one or two uh, digital business we felt that this is an area that we can actually explore into and if we do get the license then it will mean that it could be now another core business and that's the reason behind why we applied for the license does the ambition stop here is there a plan b well we already had investment in terms of the fintech in uh, fund which is have uh, interest by myself as well as also uh, Lida Totio now is owned by Benjamin as well. Uh, for us, um, that is an area that we wanted to go. So so since we don't get didn't get a digital bank, we actually are expanding and putting a lot more effort in building the Fantastic.com uh, business, uh, not just in Malaysia, but it also has the potential in Singapore and many countries in the region. And in fact, it's already becoming profitable for Malaysia the last six uh, last eight months. So we think that that's the way that we want to go. Can you speak a bit about your co- 
co-working division, revenue for Financial 22 was about 9.4 million, which is 62% higher than what was achieved in Financial 21, mainly attributed to higher contributions from CoLab co-working outlets and Scalable Malaysia. The loss before tax has also narrowed to 600,000 in Financial 22 from 4.1 million loss in Financial 21, excluding the impairment loss of 4.6 million. What are the longer plans for this division? For CoLab's, uh, we had two strategy when we put this as part of the strategic options. One of them is that uh, we may look at it as a core new business in the future and that's still under assessment whether we will have a huge business in co-working space. So so that's one strategy. Second strategy that we have is that uh, we are also building commercial offices and we felt that uh, if we couldn't sell it depending on the market demand uh, now and also at that point of time, we said that uh, we use it as a defensive strategy where we can take up huge amount of office space in that area. So, so these are the two strategies that we have in place and it's still ongoing. So it's very good news that the occupancy rate has gone up from 50 to 70% and it will be profitable this year. So we are looking forward in terms of perhaps expanding and seeing how this will morph into whether it's going to be a core new business in the future or not is something that we are still monitoring and deliberating. On your balance sheet, asset 31st December of last year, Paramount was in a net debt position of 683 million. Your net gearing is about 0.47 times. Are you comfortable with this level of gearing or is there room to be a bit more prudent? Uh, I think we are fairly quite comfortable with this level. Uh, we in fact had been much higher you know, two years ago before we actually divest our education business. So we think we have a bit of room uh, and I'm sure the bankers will be quite happy to hear that, that we can scale it up a little bit higher. In your balance sheet, there's also amount of about $200 million for private debt secur- securities. Can you give us an idea what this relates to? This is a perpetual uh, bond uh, which has a five-year tenor. Some of them have seven years. Uh, the maturity is coming up in 224. So basically, what we like about this, this structure is that basically it actually treated as equity and then, and as well as uh, the tenor is pretty long. Of course, the interest rate is much higher. It's actually like a quasi-equity. We don't have to get shareholders to give rights issue. Uh, this is in quasi-rights uh, issue. So so we like that. Uh, but, you know, if the opportunity to replace that, we will look at it as well. And what is the group doing to be more ESG compliant now? I think we have looked at different areas in terms of our own development. Uh, we're trying to see what, what I told the board is that, you know, if I'm going to be an investor of Paramount the next 10 years, I want to see that uh, when I actually buy a property from Paramount, they have features that look at ESG and more especially on the environmental side. So in a way, uh, not just the property alone, but also how they actually work with the suppliers and then their construction methods and all that, how they actually factor ESG into the play. So that's something that the board is taking very seriously and then this has been cascaded down to the operation. So definitely uh, we want to very much, uh, not just in compliance, but something that the younger generation will feel that um, Paramount is the right type of partner they want to work with and they want to live in their properties. Looking at your shareholding structure, Benjamin Teo holds about a 29% stake, followed by Southern Palm Industries and Southern Assets, which have a combined stake of about 13%. There are only a sprinkling of institutional shareholders such as Public and Philip. Is institutionalizing the shareholder base a priority for management? I think the dividend yield has been really too high, if I would say, more than 5% yield and 50% payout over the years. That most of the shareholders are very happy to keep the shares and that's the reason why uh, we are actually looking at how to improve base but one of the ways that we could do it is that we could actually maybe uh, issue more shares so that more institutions could come in and then create more liquidity in the market. Are you looking to do that in the near we future? We tried to do that uh, the first uh, round
account where we have uh, uh, a bonus issue to increase the base. Um, but problem is that the existing shareholders bought all the uh, took all the bonuses and didn't sell, and uh, we didn't get a chance to have more new players coming in. And and we hope to do more of that in the future. And Paramount's share price has done quite well. It's up sixteen percent year to date, and it was up by about six to seven percent yesterday. The market appeared to like the fourth quarter numbers as well as the special dividends. At current share price, Paramount trades at about eight to ten times. 2023 and 2024 PE and a price to book of about 0.4 times based on analyst projections. If I were to compare with some of your more comparable peers, the valuations do appear quite fair. In terms of analyst coverage, there are only two based on the average target prices. It is about 86 cents a share. I think they've moved up from 77, implying that there is not really a lot of upside from current levels and with the deteriorating economic outlook, which may print purchasing power of consumers, why should investors bother to be weighted on property or even buy Paramount shares going forward? I think if you look at Paramount, we divested education, but we over the years, we have actually filled up the vacuum. And today, we are 100 million PBT. And before, at the peak of a property and education, we are also about 100 million. So, so in a way, we are showing that the property business itself has its legs in terms of able to grow and with a consistent growth uh, over the years. So, we, we, we have the growth in terms of able to generate the kind of dividends that we're looking for. But also, uh, we do have the growth outcome from the monetization of assets. So so we do feel that the company is still undervalued in that context. Uh, so we, we we and all the shareholders, including myself, thinks that uh, it's not the right time to sell. <laughs> right. <laughs> on that note, thank you for your time. Today on The Breakfast Grill was Jeffrey Chu, CEO of Paramount Corporation, Berhad. I am Chong Jensan, BFM 89.9. The BFM Breakfast Grill is brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.